It is Monday, March 6th, and this is your morning mud. This episode is brought to you by Mudwater. Mudwater is a coffee alternative, as well as the most aptly named sponsor for this show ever, with one-seventh of the caffeine as a regular cup of coffee. It's made with masala chai, cacao, mushrooms, turmeric, sea salt, cinnamon, and that is it. And I know what you're thinking, Matt. You are somebody who loves caffeine. Why would you be hawking for a company that is advertising less caffeine? And that's because it worked. It's true. I love caffeine. I used to drink two energy drinks a day, and now I might have one a week. All thanks to Mudwater. If you or someone you love might want to make the switch to Mudwater, all you have to do is head on over to muddiedwatersoffreedom.com slash mud to make the switch today. Good morning and welcome to the morning mud. I am Matt Wright, and together we're going to be traversing the muddied waters of freedom and going through some of the biggest events happening in the world today. Over the weekend, uh, President Biden has come under a lot of flack for shifting from his party, uh, stating that he would veto a resolution to end a Washington, D.C. crime bill after his party was led to believe that he would actually protect the bill. The bill, which was overridden by the D.C. Council unanimously after Mayor Muriel Bowser vetoed it, is sweeping criminal justice reform legislation that eased penalties for many violent crimes, including carjackings and burglaries. The bill also include, redu included reduced maximum sentences, uh, the elimination of nearly all mandatory minimum sentences, and expanded rights to jury trials by those accused of misdemeanors. Criminal justice reform advocates say the bill is necessary to modernize the law, which was written in 1901, and ensure that punishments are proportionate to the crimes being committed. Opponents of the bill have stated that the law would allow D.C. inmates to ask for early release 20 years into their sentence, even those accused of violent crimes like murder or sexual assault. The resolution, which is in Congress right now, was passed in the GOP-controlled House with 31 Democrats backing it and is likely to pass the Senate early this week. This has upset fellow Democratic lawmakers, with one House lawmaker telling The Hill by text message, and now we're being hung out to dry. Another one texted The Hill that this is fucking amateur hour and stated that the White House fucked this up royally. So a lot of members in the Democratic caucus are very upset with how the White House has been handling this. And of course, one of those people, as always, is going to be AOC. AOC took her disappointment to Twitter because that's how she understands how to do things is by tweeting it um, and wrote in response to Joe Biden's tweet saying, I support D.C. statehood and home rule. But I don't support some of the changes D.C. Council put forward over the mayor's objections, such as lowering penalties for carjackings. 
If the Senate votes to overturn what D.C. Council did, I'll sign it. To this, AOC responded, This ain't it. D.C. has a right to govern itself like any other state or municipality. If the president supports D.C. statehood, he should govern like it. Plenty of places pass laws the president may disagree with. He should respect the people's government of D.C. as he does elsewhere. Progressives and many black Democrats are upset Biden is defying the party's position on D.C. home rule and criminal justice reform. But even more so, members are angered that the White House isn't communicating with them more openly. Instead, they kept it pretty close to their chest until things were already rolling. Um, Eleanor Holmes Norton said on Friday, I think he should have spoken sooner. He had earlier indicated that he disapproved of the resolution, and I hoped that that meant that he would veto it, and that would be understood in the Senate as well. But since he didn't state that, people in the Senate didn't know which way to vote, and once he said that he wouldn't veto it, that, may, that means that the Senate is going to vote to pass it, because nobody wants to go into this looking like they are weak on crime not going into a presidential election year. And the way that the White House is trying to spin it is that they don't really have a choice in the matter. They had to do this. And this is evident because Corrine Jean-Pierre said D.C.'s special status, being not a state, contributed to Biden's decision. She said, right now, D.C. is not a state. This is coming to the president. This is something that's coming to his desk, and he has to take action. This is not a legislation that he put forward. D.C. is not a state. Even though he supports D.C. statehood, he had to make a decision. If he actually supported D.C. statehood, he would have allowed them to make their own decision and let it roll. He is using that as a fallback to say, oh, I support their decision. I, I support their ability to rule themselves, but I don't support this decision. So I'm going to say you can't have this decision, but I'm going to say that you should have this decision. Um, Biden, Biden's team, I'm not going to say Biden, Biden's team understands that if he were to veto this measure, it would have opened Biden and the Democrats up to political attacks that they're soft on crime going into the election year. And being the specifics of the D.C. crime bill, um, it would being that it would reduce mandatory minimum sentencing and for various crimes, the attacks would be they want to reduce these sentencings across the across the country. That would make it hard for fourteen specific races in Congress in a U.S. presidential year, in which things can shift drastically. Uh, we got more on the election coming up. Uh, we got more on the 2024 election coming up. Stay tuned. Former Maryland Governor Larry Hogan has announced that he will not be seeking the GOP nomination for president in 2024. Hogan told CBS's Robert Costa during an interview on Face the Nation, I did give it serious consideration and I talked to people everywhere. And I talked to my family, and it was a tough decision, but I've decided I will not be a candidate for the Republican nomination for president. The moderate Republican, who's definitely a moderate, 
does not side with the GOP on everything, which is what made a lot of people think he was going to run, has been massively critical of Trump and other members of the GOP for saying that the 2020 election was stolen. But he correctly says that a pileup of candidates would make it more difficult for any one person to gain significant support. Now, currently, only South Carolina governor, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley and Strive Asset Management co-founder and executive chairman Vivek Ramaswamy are the two contenders who are saying that they're going to be running against Trump. But it's still relatively early in this race, and we know that more people are going to be uh, entering the race uh, with people like Ron DeSantis, Mike Pence, Mike Pompeo in the in the regular conversations of people that might end up running for this nomination. Um, The more candidates in this race, much like in 2016, when there were 17 candidates running for the GOP nomination is a huge benefit for Trump. As Republican strategist Ford O'Connell stated, The one thing to always remember is Trump has the highest floor and DeSantis has the highest ceiling. In a seven-ring circus, the highest floor is more important. Now, if it's a two-ring circus, that's a different story. And this makes sense because if 33, we'll we'll just say because we don't really know what the floor is for Trump, uh, but if 33% is Trump's floor, that means he has one-third of the votes. No matter what, that is the worst he is going to do, one-third of the votes. If the other two-thirds are spread out amongst 16 other candidates, Trump will easily win this election. He will easily get the nomination. Now, a Fox News poll that was released this week found Trump leading a hypothetical 15-candidate primary field, which would kind of be on par with what 2016 looked like with 43% of the vote. DeSantis trailed him in a second place with 28% of the vote while no other contenders uh, broke double digit support. In this poll, Nikki Haley uh, and former Vice President Mike Pence, who obviously hasn't announced yet, are, were tied for third place with just 7% each. A Quinnipiac University poll released a poll this week that told a very similar story. Trump beat out 13 other declared or potential primary rivals with 42% of the vote, while DeSantis notched 36. Haley and Pence received 5 and 4% support, respectively, putting them distant third and fourth place. And that is sort of what it is that you're going to be looking at in the 2024 uh, primaries that are going to be coming up. You know, starting more people are going to be saying that they're running very soon, and we are going to be seeing a lot more uh, names being tossed in. So, the more people that enter, the better Trump's chances are of winning. The less people that enter, the worse Trump's chances are of winning. Currently, if you do a head-to-head matchup between Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis wins it pretty handily. The more people you throw in, the less Ron DeSantis' chances are of winning. That means that the GOP needs to coalesce behind somebody 
if they don't want it to be Trump. But they also can't obviously coalesce behind somebody that's not Trump because they will lose that 33%. Um, when we're looking at the primaries, there's going to be a lot that's going to be told very early on in the primaries. But if it's a crowded field, Trump will benefit in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, which are the first three. If he ends up winning those first three, the number of people that are in the race will drop significantly because people aren't going to continue paying to run for president if they don't have a chance to win. And people will then have to coalesce behind the people that are already there, but Trump will already have a lead. If Trump wins all three, he's going to be the nominee. There's no question about that. Trump will be the nominee if he wins all three. But if another candidate like Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, whoever, takes one or two, that candidate could then knock Trump out of the running for the nomination. So the question is, will the GOP have a situation like they did in 2016 where everybody and their mother thought that they should run for president or will the GOP sit there and say, okay, we need to get behind this guy, this person, this, this GOP or who is running. We need to get behind them just so we don't have to worry about the things that might come out of Trump's mouth. It's, that's going to be the big challenge that they have and whether ego is going to get in the way. And it's weird that when we're talking about ego, we aren't talking about Trump's ego, but the ego of anybody else planning on running for president if they're going to be able to step aside and say, no, I need to get out of the way, so that way that the GOP won't nominate Trump for the third time. Uh, there's going to be a ton more going on in the election. Uh, and Anybody who watches us knows that I am a huge fan of election news. I love watching it. I love looking at it. So we're going to be covering that very closely uh, and keeping you all up to date on everything happening with the election as it's going on. Uh, but right now we have to pay some bills, so stay tuned for more Muddied Waters coming to you right after these ads. Welcome back. Um, there are not a lot of things that members of both parties can coalesce behind, but something in this world has brought these two sides together, and that is their hatred for George Santos. The House Ethics Committee said on Thursday it has become a, begun a formal investigation into embattled Representative George Santos. The committee, which is evenly split between Republicans and Democrats, said in a statement it voted unanimously Tuesday to begin an investigation on a host of allegations, including possible unlawful activity concerning Santos's 2022 successful bid for office, failure to disclose all required information on house forms, possible violation of conflict of interest laws, and for good measure, an allegation of sexual misconduct. Santos has been involved in a number of ethical questions after it was revealed he lied about basically his entire life story, uh, including his educational and professional backgrounds. Um, multiple New York Republicans have called for his resignation or ouster from Congress. Uh, 
it is not often you get to see the Republicans and Democrats hate somebody together. But this is a situation where people can come together, sing kumbaya, and let's get rid of George Santos. Uh, First-term representative Nick LaLotta out of New York has he stated, George Santos has disgraced Holocaust victims, 9-11 victims, military veterans with PTSD, and many more. Uh, Santos is a terrible person and should be thrown out of the Republican conference and Congress ASAP. Now, much like with anything with government, this may not just be as easy and open and shut as we all would expect this to be. Uh, The House ethics inquiry may take some time since federal prosecution in the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of New York are also reportedly investigating him. And the Campaign Legal Center filed a complaint with the Federal Elections Commission calling for a probe into Santos. Uh, The New York Attorney General, Tish James, said her team would be reviewing Santos's false claims. And Ann Donnelly, the Republican District Attorney for Nassau County, said her office is looking into the matter. That means both sides of the aisle, basically every, uh, every Department of Justice board across the spectrum is looking into George Santos and none of them want him in office. So if nothing else, when somebody says the Republicans and the Democrats can't agree on anything, you can point to George Santos and say, you are incorrect. Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, Green Party, anarchists, all of them, we all hate. George Santos. So really, George Santos is responsible for bringing the world together in ways that nobody has possibly ever before. So cheers to George Santos. Thank you for all of your hard work. That is the episode. Thank you all so much for tuning in. If you enjoy what is happening here at Muddied Waters Media, I ask you to do a couple of simple favors for us. Please, whatever podcasting platform you are listening to us on, give us a five-star review. Also, leave a review. And the biggest way that you can help is by sharing this episode with your friends. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We will see you again very soon. And remember, where we're going... We don't need roads.